had, our, we had our big nights and stuff. It's time for me to put on another coat here, uh, being a pastor teacher to you today. And uh, that's what I want to do. And I'm going to give you some things all day long. And listen, tonight's even going to be, it's going to be really, really powerful what I'm going to share with you tonight. And you might as well come. I came a long way to be here with you. You might as well show up. And I'm not here often, but I've been here enough to know your ministry and know your pastors and know your leaders and how special a place this is and how God graced uh, your nation with the Monk family to come here and to build a tremendous movement, uh, not just meetings, but a movement across uh, in all the churches that are watching right now all across this nation. And so you are blessed to be in a, an incredible place. Here's what I want to do too, is I, as I was, uh, God has several things that, that hit me. When you use the word authority, pastor, when you said authority, I think we have, con we don't understand the difference of anointing and authority. There's two different things of anointing. When you get saved, you have an anointing, but you don't have authority. Jesus had authority, but you know what? His disciples were saved, but they didn't have authority at all. They had an anointing, but they didn't have authority. And the only way you get authority is to go through life and let life beat you up so much, but you don't quit and you get back up again. And as Micah verse, chapter 7, verse 8 says, don't rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. I, I'm a, I may get knocked down, but I'm going to get back up again. I'm not going to stay down. And, and it's very obvious to see somebody with authority. If somebody goes into the military and they first go into the military, um, you know what, and they walked in, we would honor them for their service. But then a general walks in and he's got a patches of, of, of medals and so forth. We realize that he has been through battles and won battles and has been awarded for that. And he carries more authority because of the battles he went into and fought and won. And so your life is based on battles. It's based on, you, you know, and you go through these battles. You may lose a battle, but the end of the book says you win the war. So you've got to stay fighting because, you know what, you may have some pushbacks at times, but the Bible does say you are going to win and you will come out a victor if you keep standing up fighting. Don't quit fighting, church. Amen? Hey, hey okay, here's another thing. I, I want to give you the responsibility to fill this place up. It is not our responsibility as a pastor to put people in seats. Do you understand that? Our job is to tell you to go out there and you're in the city and you're pastors of your culture. If you're in a hair salon, you're the pastor of the hair salon. If you're doing construction, you're the pastor in construction. If you're in a bank, you're the pastor of the bank. Wherever you work, you are the pastor where God has placed you and it is your responsibility to let your light shine. But you don't understand, Glenn, that I'm working with a lot of unsaved people. That's the best place in the world for you to be for your light to shine. Come on, can y'all hear me in the back at all? I just, I don't, okay. I just didn't know. <laughs> and so, so I, listen, I want to encourage you because I encourage my church. Now, I'm on the pastor mode right now. I encourage my church that uh, you bring the people. I do what I can to see them get right. You bring the people here. Bring your family. Bring your friends. Bring, your, bring whoever you work with. I'll do my job and I'll promise you I'll do my best to go ahead and, and to believe that God will touch them when they walk into this building. Okay. So I want you to think about that. Think about, think about this um, for tonight. Uh, I, 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 uh, I shared a little bit with you at conference about my daughter. The, the two messages I'm going to preach to you today, uh, you're going to find that I, I really don't just preach things just to preach things because I have sermons. Uh, when you preached over 40 years, I have, I have cabinets. I have file cabinets that will fill this stage uh, because I'm still old school writing things. I still write things out. I, I hadn't figured out the computer typing yet and things like that. But uh, it's, it's what I do. And 
when I go through something, I feel like God's bringing me through something to teach my church how to get through it also. So, so in this, it's not just in your pastor, what we do, we're not, we're not just preaching to you a subject. Uh, in my church, see, we have on the back of our envelopes, all of our envelopes, we said, uh, you know, make your request known, write down your prayer request, write down what you're going through. So every week I can, I can read what our people are going through, what they're suffering through. And, 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 and then I can develop something that will meet the needs of what I'm already seeing. So when we come in to share with you, it's just not a random message at time. We want to we wanna hone in on what is going to touch your life, change your life, and motivate you to get back up again and keep fighting. Amen? Okay. So, so uh, tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something that as, uh, if you were at, you may not, if you were at the, at the conference, I did share about my daughter uh, who has really been suffering. And really the last, even yesterday and today, I talked to my wife uh, a little while ago, and she's in excruciating pain in bed, and no pain medication or anything touches the pain that she has. And for the last two days, well, really all every day, she's suffered since she was 16 years of age. She's 40 years of age now. So, so what I'm going to do today, I'm going to do two messages. What I did over the last few weeks, and knowing what was going on in my family, and knowing that goes on in your family too, we're not any different just because we're pastors. We're pastors, all of a sudden God treats us different where we don't go through anything. If anything, the devil will put a target on us more than anybody else because he wants to shut our mouth. He wants us to go ahead and question God more than anybody because we are spokespeople for God. We're messengers of God. So he wants to cause more havoc to discourage us. Do you realize in America there's 1,700 pastors, ministers, leave the ministry every month? In America, 1,700 quit because they're so burnt out, they don't have any help at all. They're sitting here studying to give their church whatever. There's nothing that comes back as far as the people responding and saying, thank you for sharing that. That changed my life or that word changed my life. you got to understand this is a team here. We're, in a, we're a team. If you mess up, we're going to pick you back up again. We're not going to tear you down. So we we gotta we gotta come together on this thing and start believing for one another rather than cursing one another. We need to believe and help one another, right? If we all right, okay. Are we going for days on this stuff? So so tonight, uh, I, I, I just last week, these are messages just just written. I hadn't even preached this anywhere. I've not preached it anywhere, other than at my church. I did a four week here recently on impossible, just the word impossible, of how how. Impossible is not a word that they even say in heaven. It's not a word that's even mentioned. Nobody even knows the word impossible in heaven. Because all things are possible. See? So, so there, 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 is no, there is no can't. That word is not mentioned in heaven. They don't know what can't is. So, so when we're talking with God, he doesn't understand this doubt that we talk with and these questions. These quest, he doesn't get it. And so, so my daughter has been as, you know, six since she's 16 years of age. So tonight I'm going to share a message. I, ju- I just wrote it. I just wrote it probably less than seven days ago for her in our church. And it ministered to so many people and ministers to me too. Um, and it's just said, God promised me. Uh, years ago, I mean, you, we live on a promise, don't we? We live on a promise with our marriage, with our, 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 our being able to pay our bills and with, with, with our health that we have sickness. And God promises us, and we hear this word here that God promises us healing. He promised, so I, I want to deal with God promised us. And, and, and then, then the understanding I'm going to deal with is that has God promised you something? Let's see, did they put that up there? And that promise died. 
I'm going to talk about when the promise dies. So you're going to need to hear this because if you're not in a situation right now, you will be by next week or something. You know what I'm saying? If you're, if you're doing good right now, thank God, but a storm is going to come in on your life. You know that. Storms are inevitable. They're going to happen in our life. We're going to go through a crisis. We have to go through that because a crisis is what causes us to grow. The good times doesn't cause us to grow, but how do we handle the storms and what do we do in those times that build us some spiritual muscle? Because you know, the more we move into these last days, the Bible says in Revelation, oh, I don't have time to give you all this stuff. Revelation 13 talks about the blasphemer will come and try to tear down everything that is of God and we're seeing that now. Tearing every kind of institution, any kind of church, everything in the world, shame it and flip whatever is truth Flip it to falseness, and whatever has been false and sin, flip it over. That's good, and that's the norm of life. That is happening. So you and I, more than any other time in history, we have to be, we got to be understanding of the fact that you're going to be strong in these last days, and we're not going to lose you to all the falseness that's in this world. So this is going to be one of the few places of where you're going to hear truth, and you're not going to hear all this crumb, crummy stuff out in the world, and you're going to hear lies in the world. You're going to hear it right here in the church. So you've got, you've got to be careful. All right, so this word of impossible I'm going to talk about today. You know what I'm going to deal with today? I'm going to deal with one of the things I did the week before, and it was also dealing with the thing with people in our church. Uh, I have almost died four times, four times, almost died. I had pulmonary embolism about 12, 13 years ago. That's blood clots in your lungs. I was breathing poison. I had, I had black mold. Pastor had black mold growing in the desk. I took over the old pastor's desk years ago, and he had black mold growing in the desk, and I've been breathing poison for years, and it and infected my lungs, and I ended up having blood clots that go to your heart and kill you. Uh, they sent me to an emergency room and so forth, went through that. I had uh, two heart surgeries. Uh, I have coronary artery disease in my family, which means you have, uh, in your, your heart can be strong, but the arteries, you have, you have a plaque buildup. And, and it stops up your arteries here. And 90%, I have 95% blockage in three and 80 in another, and I should have died. Uh, then they put in a stent sideways in my heart and I had to go into a hospital four years later again. Then I was over in uh, Australia last year, and I started bleeding internally on an island, uh, and on this island, and didn't have a doctor, didn't have a hospital, didn't have anything, it was just a hotel, and I started bleeding. So I really don't worry about death at all because I'm either going to wake up and see my beautiful wife or see my beautiful Jesus. So it doesn't make any difference to me. But here's the point. God, God's going to say, I'll tell you, devil, when he's going to go and when he's not going to go. So what I'm saying to you, so I'm not here just to kind of see, uh, do you like me or do you not like me? It really doesn't matter because you're not sitting on the throne that I'm going to meet one day. I want to see if God likes me. Does God? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You want to be my friend? We can be friends. If not, I want to be a friend of God. I want him to be my friend more than anybody else here. And if I'm a friend of him, you're going to like me then. You know, you're going to like somebody. So, so in this here, I, I, I'm going to deal with this morning, uh, how do you receive a miracle? How do you receive a miracle? Because all of us here, is, it, it is a question that you and I need to know. I'm going to give you six areas so you need to get a sheet of paper and write this down. Because I'm going to tell you this, everyone in here, you're going to have this in common with one another. You're going to need a miracle one time in your life. There's going to be a time, but it's not going to be one time. You're going to need a miracle a lot of times in your life. I want to explain this to you. It's meat and potatoes, but I want to leave something with you of some weight. Can we go and shout and scream and so forth? And I can rip my shirt and have all black. Yeah, we can do all that. But you're going to leave with just what? Well, I just got excited. I don't know what he said. 
So I want to give you something where you can take this home. But then again, tonight, tonight, I'm going to deal with this message. When my daughter was in the hospital and I was wondering, should I even come here? I went up and preached when she was in the hospital and I preached, God promised me. God has promised me she was to be healed. God has promised her she's to be healed. But the promise is dead looking right now. She's laying in bed right now as I'm speaking, and she's in excruciating pain right now after, after, for 24 years of this. And you say, well, God's promise, it looks dead. How about let's then find out why, and I'll explain that tonight because I'm walking through that. So you don't want to miss tonight's service. It's going to be really good. Everybody said, I'm coming. coming. There's a few things in the back here. There's a few more of these. I'm just going to mention them real, real quick. The Christianity Light Series, this was a, a major deal that churches are using all over, I know, America and wherever it's at. Uh, this was the Christianity Light dealing with a watered-down gospel that's being preached today and how Jesus never have changed what a disciple is. So you need to look at this here, and it's going to deal with all kinds of different areas. I'm going to tell you what you're going to grow. The editor that, that edited this book uh, basically called me and said, I'm convicted. I, I edit books all the time, but I'm convicted by this and, and realizing in my life that I'm not really where I need to be and, and that I've seen a watered-down situation take place, and I want to deal with that. I did years, well, I did this maybe last year. I did a whole thing on healing. I felt like people were confused about healing, and uh, especially that a healing evangelist will just kind of tell you you don't have faith. There's 17 different hindrances to healing uh, in the Bible. I'm going to talk about those, and so anybody here, you have sickness, you have things going on in your life, you need to know what to do, then get that there. And then anybody married or not married, and I don't know who else would sub, you know, category would be here, but uh, if you're not married or married, the two become one. There's just a few of these left. Uh, there's a, I'm just saying, it's a tremendous, unbelievable revelation of the mystery that Paul talks about that I explain and uh, I want you to do that. So don't forget tonight, we're going to get together. I'm going to share some. So I'm going to deal with this. This is one of the, the four parts that I did on how to receive a miracle. How to receive a miracle. One of the parts the week before was that, do you really want to get well? Do you want to get well? Because, see, I don't know if you want to get well. Because if you get well, you've got to give up your handicap card. You're going to have to now park further away from things and everything. You don't get first up in line here. You can't get on a plane first. You give it up. Do you really want to get well? Okay, that's a whole other subject. <laughs> you want to pray? Let's pray. You want to do this? Let's do this. Let's have fun today. Let's talk a little bit. Get, get your paper out. I'm going to give you six areas that, listen, it's going to help you. I didn't come here to entertain you. I came here today with an agenda and with a specific purpose that I'm going to leave you with that when I leave, you're going to remember the word and this word will help you 10 years, 20 years from now that I'm leaving with you all day. Father, bless this time. Bless this church. Bless the monk family, God. Bless my friends that are here. Bless all the leaders that are here. Thank you for all the servants that we have in this church to make this happen. Thank you for all the churches that are streaming right now and watching all over this nation. And I pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, something will take place in our lives where we are going to win this battle. We are not going to complain about our lives. God, we're going to live our lives with joy and fullness of life. God bless us today in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. I don't have time to go through it, but you know in the book of Acts, everything started with prayer. Prayer is a key to everything, key to everything, and they prayed everywhere. They prayed out on, on the coastline. They prayed in prison. They prayed all over the streets. They prayed in houses. They prayed in secret houses. They prayed when they were hiding from authorities. They prayed in the morning. They prayed at night. They prayed at midnight here. They prayed without ceasing. Cornelius prayed, prayed always, the Bible talks about. Peter's praying on rooftops. What I'm saying is the whole book is dealing with how they prayed. They begin to pray. 
pray. The Holy Spirit fell because they were praying. Say, say so, so church starts, in a sense, with people praying. I know we've gone ahead and we, we think it's all about praise and worship. Because we used to, in our day, back years ago, it, we, didn't have, we didn't have any kind of real good praise and worship people. And if you did have any talent, that, you, that you, people would say, well, they're worldly because they could sing good or play good. You couldn't play good. You couldn't sing good if you were in the church years ago because you were worldly that way. Now we have tremendous singing. But what we did do back years ago, we did pray. We did pray a lot. We'd have these all-night prayer meetings. When's the last time that's happened? We would have people that when they'd go through things in their life, they didn't come and look for a pastor. They looked for a closet, and they interceded for eight hours in tongues and prayed in tongues until they got their breakthrough. And that's what we used to do. Now, I love praise and worship, but I see prayer is a key thing here. But when we, what happened when our praise and worship got better, when we started doing that, we released prayer thinking that praise and worship takes the place of prayer. My question to you is, what's more important, the right or left wing of an airplane? You need both. I need prayer and I need praise and worship. I don't just need one or the other because if I take one away, I'm in a death spiral and it's not going to, all it's doing is delaying what's ultimately going to happen. I need both. Somebody say both. All right, I hadn't gotten into my message yet. All right. Let me, let me just give you, a, 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 here's a great story before I get into the six areas here. Uh, give me something here. Is this a, here's Acts. Uh, this is Saul, because this is my conversion, but I want to tell you, this is just one of those impossible stories. How many of you have unsaved family members, un- unsaved family and friends? And so, okay. This story here, you just, I've just got to read it real quick and I'll show you. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats. So, you know, Saul was basically killing Christians, what he was. He's killing Christians. Killing Christians. Uh, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the rest of any followers of the way, Jesus' followers, uh, that he found there. Now, here he is. Here he is. Here this killer of Christians goes to the high priest. <laughs> goes to the priest, the Pharisees. And the guy gives him letters of all these people that are following Jesus in Damascus. Boy, so he's a real, real good friend right here of the Christian. He said, we wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem and change. Watch. And he is approaching Damascus and on his mission, a light of heaven. So we have, an, we have an impossible thing taking place here. So I don't want you to ever think anybody in your family or anything that we need in our life that is impossible. There is nothing impossible at all. Nothing. Some might say nothing is impossible. Listen, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to believe it. It's good to, if you don't have anything right now, you can say, well, nothing's impossible. And then you get in a situation, say, well, I know he can do that, do that, but I don't know if he can do this. All right, he's approaching Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly shines down on him. He falls to the ground, heard a voice saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Said, who are you, Lord? Said, I'm Jesus, the one you persecuted. Now get up, go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. See, instead of us constantly asking God what he needs to do for us, why don't we take some time and be quiet and let him tell us what to do? I need to know what God wants me to do rather than telling God what I want him to do. You got this? All right. So he says, go into the city and just wait there and be in prayer waiting for me. He goes three days. So the men saw, saw, he's speechless. They heard sound of someone's voice. So God's speaking, Jesus is speaking, but they don't see who it is, but they hear the voice. All right, next, go. Saul picked up, uh, uh, picked himself off the ground. When he opened his eyes, he was blind. He's blind. His companions led him by the hand. So here's this man killing Christians. He's blind now. He's totally been rocked now. He remains there blind for three days, doesn't eat and drink, so he's fasting. So he's fasting. He's praying. He's asking God, what do you want me to do? I'm waiting here, all right? 
I just, like, I just like the miracle going on here. Then there's a believer in Damascus named Ananias, Ananias, Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision saying, Ananias, yes, Lord, go to the straight street. Straight street, uh, can you show that real quick? Straight street, I'll show you what straight street looks like. This is straight street in Damascus. Uh, this is probably in the 50s or 60s, something like that. It's not back in the day, but you can see still the old thing. What it was, is a mile-long street in Damascus. They had all the shops. They had houses and so forth. It was for a mile-long through the city, uh, and, and this is how they passed. So this is where Saul is going on Straight Street. Okay, go back. Uh, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. Now, the thing that's getting me is how specific God is in this. God's very specific of telling the name of the street, telling who's going to come see you, telling all this information here. When you get there, ask for a man. You see how specific it is right here, Tarsus and Saul. He is praying to me right now. Okay? So, so in this story here, we see something pretty tremendous happening here that's taking place. What I like about this is, is this impossible situation because I was that impossible situation where God struck me off a horse and basically saved me and I've never been the same since then. Paul was never the same since then, okay? What I also noticed is this, you gotta understand, Ananias, Ananias was called by God to reach one person and the one person he was to reach was gonna reach thousands. You never know what God's going to do. You think God's called you to stand on a stage here and do this and reach thousands. No, no, no. He may have called you, Ananias, to reach one person who would then again reach thousands of people. So you are important no matter who you touch and who you speak to. That could be that person like a Paul that turns around and does something unbelievable. Amen? All right. All right. You want to get into the six areas? Y'all ready for that? How to receive a miracle. Here's number one. Identify the source of your trouble. Identify the so you got to identify the source of your trouble. Okay, now now I know we don't have many Einsteins here tonight uh, today, and and so it would, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, you do what you want to do. I'm telling you, it'd be good to write this down, and get this, and just put these down because here's what I'm telling you. Trust me, trust me, trust me. You're gonna need this one day in your life. You're gonna hit something. There's gonna be a car wreck. There's gonna be something you unexpectedly you don't even know about. And all of a sudden, you're going to say, I wish I knew those six things that we talked about on Sunday. Okay, John 10, 10. Identify the source. The thief's purpose. What is his purpose? Purpose is to steal, kill, destroy, right? And what is God's purpose? Is to give them a rich, satisfying, or the Bible says, abundant life. Okay? So, so we have two different things here. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and then we have, see, people believe that, you know, today, people believe they're in trouble today because of God. You know, why, why today do we blame everything on God? We blame everything, it's God's fault. It's God's fault. It's always God's fault. You know why we do that? Because we have a generation that has, has totally expelled from our understanding there's a real devil. So when there's not a real devil, then who gets all the blame? So God gets all the blame because the devil's just, no, he's just kind of a figment of your imagination. Okay, let's take the fact that God's the one that causes illness. So God then now... God's standing in heaven here. Watch this. And he says, uh, Gabriel, you, do you have some cancer? I need some cancer up here. You have cancer? Come find me some cancer up here. Can't find any cancer, right? Is there any cancer in heaven? No. So where does he get it? Uh, go get the devil. Let me ask him and see if he's got some cancer. Now, he has it. But do you really think that God's going to ask him and ask the devil to borrow cancer from him a brain tumor a little five-year-old boy that has a brain tumor you think god did that 
and God put that on that child. God didn't do that at all. God, Bible says everything with God is good. Everything who he is is good. God is good all the time, not sometimes. Taste and see that he's good. He's not good sometimes. He's good all the time. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Brain tumors don't come from God. Diabetes doesn't come from God. Arthritis doesn't come from God. Poverty doesn't come from God. Divorce doesn't come from God. Pride and rebellion doesn't come from God. God is the high priest of all good things do not ever blame God that is not God doing that what kind of God would do that and put something on a child and that child dies the devil has come to steal to kill and destroy he said I've come to bring life I want to bring life here's number two number two is to fill your mind with truth you've got to fill your mind with truth we have, we have probably more people going to church today, and we have probably less understanding in the pew than we've ever had before because we have most of the body of Christ has never picked up a Bible. Your Bible is basically once a week if you do show up or maybe twice uh, a month if you come every other week because something came up in your life. So basically what we're doing, we're not married to God, we're dating God. Because, see, when you date God, you don't have to call that date for a week or two. You don't have to deal with the date. You don't have to talk about that. So I'm dating God. I don't have to check up on him. But when I'm married, i got to check in all the time. And i got to talk all the time. So I'm going to have a problem. So some of us need to get out of the dating relationship with God and say, I'm ready to go ahead and have a relationship and have a covenant. You got this? All right. All right. Now, I'm going to show you something that my daughter didn't know that I, I videoed. Before I left the house... And I'm talking about filling your mind with truth. Uh, I got several of these of her doing several things. I've got one where she's got her phone out. And scripture is on her phone. And she's quoting the healing scriptures. Now I'm talking about, I'm not talking about six months being sick. I'm saying this is 24 years, which is pretty amazing. The thing that gets me is that she has this fight um, and this tenacity after 24 years of every day of this. I just did this before I left on the plane. You know how you just sit and put your video camera on and I, I was in my bedroom and she was sitting in a chair and what she's doing, she's quoting in her mind Psalm 23 out loud. I'm in there with her and she's crying. She's in tremendous pain here and this, is, this was in between one hospital visit and she was home and then she went in an ambulance uh, probably the afternoon, this afternoon that you see this. She doesn't know I video this, so don't put anything and take a picture. Don't do that because she doesn't know, and, and, you know that I have this. But I want to show you. Uh, it, it, it's pretty unbelievable. And I've seen it a lot. I'm going to try to keep it together. I've seen it a lot. But you're going to see her crying out. Uh, if you want to look at her hands, look at her hands, how bad they are. Her hands are all crooked over the years with rheumatoid arthritis. She's suffering as she does this. But the impressive thing is, I didn't have this before for any other message. I just had it right before I left. But I want you to see, this is Kelly. This is my oldest daughter, and this is the one that I'm talking about that's in pain. And I want you to see what she's doing in the midst of her situation after 24 years. She still has enough strength to be able to do what you watch right here. Physically, he's physically, physically taking me through Psalm 23. He told me it's a shadow of death. He said it's a shadow. He said, Kelly, fear no evil. For my rod and my staff, they comfort you. And so what's next? 
once I get through this shadow and I stay in peace, he said he will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and anoint our head with oil and our cup will flow with goodness and mercy that follows us all the days of our life. He's my good shepherd. Yeah. It's hard to watch. It's hard to see. I, I look at her hands and I look at her fingers that are totally deformed. I look at all this. But, but there's truth. She's got truth in her mouth still. She's speaking truth. And this is, church, i got to get this across to you. That's the only thing you have. Doctors don't have an answer. Pills and drugs don't have an answer. There's going to be times in your life where no counselor can help you, no money can help you, nothing can help you other than the truth that's in the Word of God. You've got to hold on to that. What does the Bible say it, as far as truth? Put, give me a scripture here about this. I know we got something up there. There it is. You know you will know. Somebody say no. So you know the truth, and what you know, you can't unknow. Once you know something, you can't unknow something. Once I have this truth, I have this truth. And this truth sets you free. Now, what you know, it's not what you hear. You've got to know it. It's not sitting in church for 40 years, and all of a sudden I've been in church. No, 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 no. Do you even know what you've heard in 40 years? Have you practiced it? Have you held on to it? Have you spoken it? Has that been an anchor for you when your life was all messed up? I have a word. I have a truth. Oh, I know I've got other kind of areas that can help me, but God's word is going to be paramount in my life, and I'm going to hold on to that to be able to make it. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Listen, this is just basic Bible. We don't even hear anymore. We've got to talk about this. I've got to know the truth. I've got to know truth doesn't make you free. You see what it said? Truth doesn't make you free. Known truth makes you free. The truth you don't know in the Bible, you're not free from the things you don't know in the Bible. I'm only free from the things that I have in the Bible that I've put into my life that I hold on to and speak. Oh, you got to get this. All right, let me go. I got to, let's see, let me, I got to go quick. Here's number three here is, is speak to the situation. Speak to the situation. Okay, speak to the situation. Give me a scripture here. Speak to the situation. We're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us, when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Now, don't stress. Don't get hung up on he'll give me what I ask for because you've got to look at what pleases him. Now, what pleases him may not be what you're asking unless it's lining up with the Word of God. So we've got to be careful when we're asking we have a scripture. Do you know what? The Bible talks about out of Jesus' mouth came a double-edged sword. A double-edged sword means your Bible is a, it means a twice-spoken word. The Bible is a once-spoken word, but when you put it in your mouth and speak it, it becomes a twice-spoken word. That means it's like a sword with two edges on it. It has both sides are sharp. So when you speak it, it's just as powerful as the word of God when it was spoken that day by Jesus. It's just as powerful. Speak the word. Speak to your situation. Speak to your sickness. Speak to your job situation. Speak to your kids, your kids' situation. If they're lost and not saved, speak to that in the name. You know what? Marilyn Hickey, who is just a tremendous lady of faith, I was talking to her one time, and I remember that she travels a lot overseas. And I used to get sick all the time overseas. I get sick on the plane going, I'm sick preaching, on and on. Hadn't been sick for years and years and years. I said, Marilyn, she was 70-something years old. I said, Marilyn, do you still travel overseas? Yeah, I go all the time. Do you ever get sick? Does it ever, I mean, it wear you out? She goes, no, I don't get sick. 
I said, well, how do you not get sick? said, I just lay my hand, lay my hand on my head and I'll just pray to myself and just rebuke it. So I speak to myself. I don't need somebody else's hand. I got one. I just put it on my head and pray for myself. And I said, well, that's a pretty good deal. I started having sinus infection. I just said, Jesus, I don't have time to have a sinus infection. I got to preach. I got to go to work. I got to do something here. And I rebuke this and all of a sudden it leaves. You got to realize you got to learn to speak to it. All right, that's going to flow into something here. So here it is. Here's number four. You've got to have confession without question. You've got to have a confession without a question. A confession without question. Let us hold tightly without wavering. So what we have, what we do here means wavering. Like on Sunday, oh, my faith is big. Well, what about on Monday? Are you going to waver on Monday? It didn't happen on Tuesday. You know what? God's not looking at your time of when you think he should do it. You don't have God's timepiece. He does it whenever he wants to do it, and his timing is always on time. You may not think it is, but he wants to wait a little bit longer. We can look at Lazarus' situation and say, wow, he should have come when Lazarus was sick. Why did he wait till he died? Because, because, because a resurrection totally outweighs a healing. If I had a choice of doing something big, I'm going to do a resurrection over a healing. See what I'm saying? And then he gave, gave Lazarus a little better testimony. Oh, I was real sick here and Jesus came, prayed for me. I, I had to cough and my chest was kind of full of, oh, it's mucus and stuff. And, I, and all of a sudden it cleared up. I feel better. Okay? But then he gives him a, he gives him a testimony of like, uh, I was dead. <laughs> I didn't know where I was. You know, I mean, okay, so a pretty good testimony God gave him. So let me give him a good testimony. So here this confession without question is, is that I don't, I'm not, we know what double-minded is. Double-minded is that you believe, but you're also worrying and have disbelief. You can't have both at the same time. You will not receive what God has for you. Here's number five. Quit whining and fight. Quit whining about your situation and fight. Too many Christians, when something happens to us, we start complaining to God. And we gripe about it. And we call everybody up and we can't believe our situation. You can't believe what I'm going through. All right, let me show you scripture. What does it say here? You got to become aggressive in the spirit. Time John the Baptist to now the kingdom of heaven, forcefully advancing. Somebody say forceful people. Forceful people. Well, Pastor Glenn, I'm just not a forceful person. I'm kind of passive. And, you know, some of you here have been hurt 40 years ago and you still can't confront the person who hurt you. You're just too passive. You can't just deal with it. I'm a pastor. And you know, I don't have a problem, a problem with anybody passive, but that's your nature. But I'm going to tell you this. When it comes to your spiritual life, you better start learning to bow up. You got to learn how to go ahead and forcefully start speaking to your situation. You can be passive sitting here and with your husband or wife or with your family. But when it comes to spiritual things, you're going to have to bow up and fight and learn how to fight because the devil doesn't hear anything else other than you stepping up to him in power and authority and speaking to him to move. If you don't do that, he'll sit right there and won't even move. All right, let's take it this way. Your neighbor across the street steals your child. Your child's four years old, and that man comes out of the front of his house. Your child's playing in the front of your yard, takes it, and you're looking out the window wondering what's going on. He walks your child into his house. What do you do? Well, I'm, I'm passive. Oh, Lord. Uh, you know, um, my child just got... Uh, child just... He, he just... He just took my child, my neighbor. My neighbor took my child, Jesus. And would you please tell him to return my child? Yeah, just, would he? See, you're non-aggressive personality. I said, that's fine, but not in the spiritual realm. 
And you tell me, mama, you tell me, if somebody did that to you, you think you're going to be passive about it? I guarantee you you're not going to be passive about it. You're going to go get whatever you can. You're going to find any kind of weapon you can. You're going to find anything you can. You're going to get a shoe. You throw a shoe at You're going to get something. And that man walks out in the morning. You're going to be sitting at the window. I wonder what he's doing with my child. Next morning, he walks out with your child, puts in a car, and all of a sudden later comes home with your child. What are you going to do? You're going to do something about that. You say, well, I don't know how to fight, but you know how to bite. You know how to do something. You will fight if you have to. And so some of us need to learn, if we would just quit whining about our situation, God said the devil's a terrorist, you go ahead and fight him, use the power of God that he's given you, and take him down. Let me ask you this, did God just kind of passively ask Satan to leave heaven? Uh, Satan, not working, it's not working. Uh, You got a third third of them on your side. I don't know what you're telling them, but... This, this thing is not working out up here, and we're going to have to get a new worship leader. New worship leader. You think that's what he did? The Bible says he threw him out. He threw, did, did Jesus go in with the money changers like, guys? Uh, uh, you, you already know that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he, he did not passively deal with things that were wrong and you and I in the spiritual realm so so what do I do with my daughter I'm not gonna sit back oh Lord you you know why don't you do this why don't you do this no 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 I'm still speaking power I'm speaking truth and what I'm telling you I came to New Zealand to go ahead and put the devil back in his hole again and I said I'm gonna see New Zealand people saved I'm gonna see people saved and filled with the spirit and speak in tongues and devil you're gonna take your hands off my daughter and if you don't take your hands off my daughter. I'm going to preach all around this world and I'm going to see all this earth come to Christ. You better let her go. Let her go. See, you go ahead. You match him power to power and put him down. You're going to tell me that I'm going to complain about No, no. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pull some people out of hell until you kill her, until you let her go. I'm going to go ahead and see this nation saved. You push me, you watch. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to give you hell. You think you're going to put it in my house? You're not going to put it in my house. You're going to regret the day you came in my house. You're going to regret the day you took my child. You're going to regret it. You're going to pay. You're going to pay. You're going to pay. You're going to pay. Okay, I got to hurry. I'll give you the last, last point. Last point. You have to have, for your healing, unshakable faith. You gotta have unshakable faith. I'm gonna explain this in a way that maybe you've never heard. Lord gave me a little illustration. I'll show you. Let me show you some scriptures first on this unshakable faith. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus, said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures, suffers terribly, he often falls in a fire. We got a real, we got a real demonic issue right here going on. He often falls in a fire. Okay. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal. Okay, so the difference is there was an anointing there, but they had no authority. They had no authority. Jesus said, you faithless, so he's dealing with faith here, faithless and corrupt people. He's upset with his disciples. He, I wonder how, how many people uh, in the church Jesus is going to be upset with. You, you've, been, you've been hanging around the church for years and years. Have you caught anything? Have you learned anything? Are you utilizing anything? Are you still calling people to help you? Okay, watch. He said, how long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here. Go ahead. And so Jesus rebukes the demon and the boy. It left him. Didn't take him long. From that moment on, the boy was well. Now watch. Afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out 
the demon. Okay, watch, here's your answer. He told them, because of you have, somebody say little faith. Now, I'm explain that. I'm going to illustrate that in a minute. You have little faith. You can have much faith. You have great faith. There's different words. So faith is a progression. When you get saved, you don't have great faith. You have little faith. What do you do with your little faith? You grow that faith, and it becomes great faith. We'll get there in a minute. Give me another scripture. When Jesus arrived at another store, official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. Jesus just walks in and said, get out. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. Okay? She is dead. Who's this guy that walks in and says she's just asleep? She's not dead. They laugh at Jesus when he said that. Look what he did next, next scripture. He said, take this crowd, this faithless crowd, and get them out of my sight. Because I don't need to do a miracle and do a healing with people that don't believe it can happen. You got to look in your life for people you surround yourself with. If they're not going to believe for your miracle, get them out and get somebody else that will believe with you. Right? I want somebody that has the faith to believe my destiny is going to come to pass. That will believe my hope is going to be reestablished. I need somebody to believe my child will get saved. Somebody to believe my marriage will be restored. I got to have somebody with faith. If you don't want to believe with me, get out of the room. I got to find somebody. All right, all right, watch this. I'm running through. Watch this. And so, however, go, go back. Go back. Crowd. However, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand. She stood up. The report of the miracle went country. Okay, let me give me one more. One more story. I'm going to show you something. They brought the boy when the evil spirit saw Jesus. It threw a child uh, into a violent convulsion. You see how much? We don't even talk about demons anymore. And, this all, and Jesus dealt with it all the time. Isn't it amazing that we don't talk about the devil anymore? We don't talk about demons. We don't talk about that. Oh, we can't discuss that. Well, Jesus talked about it all through the Bible here. We need to maybe talk about it because, see, everything in your life is, is dealing with an evil spirit. You understand? You know, you know, all your fighting and all, your, all your, your situation in your marriage, it's not your wife or your husband. That's an evil spirit in the middle of all this. You understand that? It's a spirit of infirmity. You know what? Sickness is a spirit. Okay. Uh, brought the boy. Look, look what he's doing. Uh, when the evil spirit saw Jesus through child in a violent convulsion, he fell to the ground wild and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He said, since he was a little boy. Spirit often throws him into fire and water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Jesus says, if I can? What, what does that even mean to me? I, what does that mean? Do you, do, do you notice that it, when Jesus did something, he didn't go back to check and see if it happened? Yeah. Uh, fig tree wither. Uh, did, it, did it wither? Did it, did it wither? Yeah, it did. Okay. Okay, I didn't know. He never, once he spoke something, never had to go back and check it. Never did. So he says, if I can, he says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. Now watch. So the father said, I, here's where most of the church is. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I'm going to help you overcome your unbelief right now. I'm going to help you overcome it. Okay? Let me explain. So we heard little faith. We heard help me with my unbelief. Hard for us to believe for a lot of things to happen because we don't see it on time. So let me, let me tell you. Give me, I, I said, give me a little bicycle, a little bike here. Do we have somebody to ride this? Give me, where, do we have a little, little boy or girl? Where, where's the little boy or girl in the church? Hey, come on up. Yeah, come on up. 
Good, good. Yeah, come stand with him. What's his name? Roman. Roman. Hey, Roman. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Shake my hand. Shake my hand. What's my... Oh, I saw, thought he'd fall out on the floor. Okay. Okay. Do you know how to ride this? Yeah. Can you ride this? Roman, can you ride this? Come see. Get on. Let me see. Here. Try to ride that. Can you ride it? Okay, you got to go for it, right? Go ahead. Let me see. Can you ride that? You embarrass me in front of the people. Go ahead, Dad. Did can you go? Come on, come over here. Here, you come over here. Go to Dad. Well, that's not really riding, but. Oh, there, oh, wow, there you go. Uh, yeah, thank God you taught him. We didn't know. Okay, hang here, Roman. Hey, good job, Roman. That was really good. Just stay here, stay here with me. Okay, watch. That's little faith. You little guy, little faith. Here's little faith. This is where you start, okay? Bring me another bike in. Bring me another bike in. How about this one here? Roman, how about this one here? Can you ride this bike? Here, put him up there. Come on, Dad, did you teach him good? Let's see, let's see if you taught him good. Okay? Come on the other side here so they can see you. They can't see him. Come over here. Okay, can you ride it? Can you get your hands up here? Can he? No, he can't. He'll get off the seat. Yeah, yeah, right. There you go. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay, just, just hold him. It's, I think it's obvious here. Just hold. Okay, hold him right here. Okay, watch, watch. This is the way you start. I don't care how old you are. In the area of spiritual faith, you start here. Right here. So I'm believing for little things. Little things. Before I can ride that kind of faith, great faith, I've got to master little faith. I've got to ride this here. Because I can't go straight from here to great faith. So here's the problem why some things don't happen. I want to jump from here where I have little faith, and now I'm going to go ahead and rebuke cancer and rebuke heart disease and rebuke things as if I have that kind of faith. You don't have that kind of faith yet because you haven't mastered little faith yet. If you can't ride this, you can't ride that. So you have to start here, build your faith up here before you can move to this over here. Now, faith is action. So this is not a bicycle if it's not being ridden. You know what I'm saying? Faith is an action, so it's just wheels and it's just metal until you get on it and ride it, and then it becomes faith. Some of us here, we believe in for these huge things in our life. Oh, God, I need a, my whole new job. I need this, and my whole family's falling apart, and I want this kind of faith to move a mountain, and you don't even tithe yet. You don't even give yet. You don't even serve. You don't even come consistently, but you want to jump from a baby bike up to something big and move a mountain, and you can't go there yet until you learn how to ride this. You understand? Okay, let's all stand here. I think I'm, I'm, I see my time here. I'm three minutes here. Hey, Roman, thank you, buddy. Give Roman a big hand. Thanks, Roman. <laughs> thank you, Dad. Thanks. Thanks for helping. Yeah, here, here. Here's this. Little faith, little faith. How many still on that little bike? See, some of us haven't even gotten on a bike. We stare at it, and then we're asking God for these huge things. And then, listen, we get frustrated. See, here's the deal. The Bible just says, have faith and believe for everything. But you've got to understand your faith builds like a muscle. I've got to deal with this here. I've got to deal with this here. I've got to deal with this here. And then there's a faith that's growing. There's a faith that grows in me where now... 
I can look back at the devil and say, there ain't nothing God, God can do anything. But see, when I was back on a little bike, I kind of questioned if I could do and believe for everything. Most of the church is still riding a little bicycle. And you're asking, though, questions that only a big bicycle rider can answer. Watch. So when you have little faith, you need someone with great faith to walk with you. Because what happens when you fall with your little faith, many of you don't want to get up and trust God again because it didn't happen. But you didn't have someone that knew how to ride to help you to ride and learn how to ride because you were on your own. So you need somebody that is mature to be with you, to stand with you, and to help you be able to make it. Do you understand? Is that good? Okay, bow your heads, bow your heads. All over the building here today, my question to you, how many of you need a miracle in an area of your life, your personal life, and in your family? Raise your hand. All of you that are, that are serious about this, I want you to come down as close as you can to the altar, and I'm going to pray with you because I'm with you. If, if I'm standing where you're at, I'll be down here at the altar because I need, a, I need a miracle too with my family. I need my child healed. Come all the way down. You need a miracle. Come all the way down the front. Thank you. Thank you, church. Good. You're a great, great church. I love you. I love uh, Quippers. I love New Zealand. I love the people here. I enjoy it every time I come. I'm treated uh, so kindly. You know, it's just, it's, it's almost, if you can only get in the hallway, it's just, it's, just, it's just a faith thing just stepping out. Now, as you're coming, let me just say, I don't know what size bike you're riding, but before you move a mountain, you got to learn how to move a pebble. See, you don't just jump out and just start moving major things because then you get, you and I, it makes sense because then we get frustrated. It didn't happen. But boy, if I can pull somebody that has great faith with me, okay? See, Jesus was riding a big bike. There wasn't anything, anything that was impossible for him. And there comes a point where you believe. I may say this again tonight, but I'll say it now. When I was in the hospital with my daughter before I came, before she got really, really bad in her 20s, she became a nurse. Have any nurses here? Have any nurse, nurses here? Any nurse right here? Yeah. Yeah. A nurse in the back? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, in America, they work these 12-hour shifts and... Really, 14, you got to do an hour of preparation hour. Well, if you have arthritis, it's hard enough if you're healthy, but with arthritis, she couldn't do it. She, the hospital was right across the street from my church where she was. And I would leave and go over to lunch, and I would go up to her floor, and I'd see her in her nursing outfit, and she was just so proud of her being a nurse. You know, she achieved this. You know, it's a big achievement to really neat thing. She wanted to take care of people is what she wanted to do. This has been 24 years ago. Last week, I'm in the, they're moving her from the emergency room up to a hospital room, moving her to a bed and moving her upstairs. My wife and I are, are sitting on the third floor into the lounge area like they put a family into the lounge. I walked out. They said her room is ready. And I said, okay, let's go. and We're going to go see her in her room. It's a couple days ago. I walked out. And no one was in the, uh, no one was in the, uh, the hallway of the hospital except the back of my daughter walking in a nursing outfit. And her back was to me 
and I just saw her walking. And what that told me, the only way she could wear that uniform again is she has to be healed. So God gave me a vision of seeing her healed. And so tonight, I'm going to deal with God promised me. The promise is dead right now. What do we do with it? I got to explain it to you because I had to learn it myself. But it's a word that's going to help you. Listen, it doesn't matter, isn't it right, where we live? We go through the same stuff. It doesn't matter where we're from, what country we're from. We feel the same pain. We feel the same hurts. And all of us here have something in common. Without you, God, we can't make this. I'd lose my mind if I was not saved right now. I don't know what I would do. You know, most of us, I, we don't know. The world is so nasty. If we didn't have God in our life, we'd be strung out taking drugs or getting drunk because we couldn't handle the life. That, but thank God that he keeps me still sane, you know, and, and I have hope. So I'm trying to tell you, listen, in, in this, I need miracles too, and you do. Lift your hands, and we're going to believe for that today. And, you know, we're going to rest on it today too. We're going to rest, and we're going to come back tonight, and we're going to learn something great. Say this with me. Say, Lord. I will never understand your ways, but I do trust your word. And your word says all things are possible for those who believe. Stretch my faith. Connect me with people that have great faith. Because I will see the promises of God, miracles of God, take place in my life. I have hope today where there was darkness. I have light today. And I believe you will perform every miracle that your word says I can have in Jesus' name. Come on, just pray.